The Syracuse Sports Podcast is presented by the Bill Rapp Superstore. BillRapp.com is the website. Get on there, calculate your payments online before you go see Brian, Bruce, or any of the great crew at the Bill Rapp Superstore, where you always get a great deal. And it's always the smart choice. Subarus, Buicks, GMCs, live market pricing on pre-owned vehicles. It's an all-star shopping experience every time at the Bill Rapp Superstore. Few things on the docket this week on the Syracuse Sports Podcast, including, did the Buffalo Bills take the right Josh? With the 7th pick in the 2018 NFL Draft, trading up from 12, with the 7th pick in the 2018 NFL Draft, the Buffalo Bills took the strong-armed Josh Allen from Wyoming, as opposed to the more pro-ready pocket passer Josh Rosen from UCLA. Matthew Fairburn, our Buffalo Bills beat reporter on Syracuse.com and NYUp.com, will join me to go over that pick, the Bills' other trade for a terrific linebacker, and what they need to accomplish in draft weekend. We were on bubble watch throughout the month of February and the good part of March for the Syracuse University men's basketball team. Heading into the ACC tournament, the men's lacrosse team finds themselves in the same position. Plus, the Syracuse Crunch await its next opponent in the Calder Cup playoffs. While the Toronto Marlies may be a stiffer test, the Utica Comets would certainly be more entertaining. But first, let's check in with Syracuse.com's Matthew Fairburn to review a very active first round in the NFL draft for the Buffalo Bills. I think a lot of Buffalo Bills fans anticipated this. I think it's fair to say it's a polarizing move, but one way or the other, Josh Allen is the new quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. What did you think of the move, all things considered, trading up for him and he being the guy? Yeah, you know, it was one of those things that I think a lot of people had in the back of their mind been expecting and sort of it seems like from the reaction a lot of people were dreading this move but i think okay so they gave up two first round pick or two second round picks to move up uh five spots on the trade value chart that's a slight overpay but all things considered some of the other packages that were talked about you know i think that was an okay move that's not one that that leaves you feeling like the bills got robbed and brandon bean mentioned uh, when I asked him about you know him being worried that they were connected to Josh Allen a lot during the process, he brought up the fact that teams were looking at them with all these picks and trying to you know squeeze them for more. But you know Brandon Bean made it clear that just because we have these picks doesn't mean they need to be included. So I think the trade itself, uh, you know, the cost involved, I think that was the plus. Uh, giving up two second round picks isn't easy to swallow in a draft where there's still a lot of talent on the board. But you didn't have to give up, you know, the other first round pick or include next year's first round pick. And you might have had to do that if, if the trade was with the Browns at four or the Broncos at five, both of which were discussed. So that's the good. The bad is that, you know, at least in my eyes, they took a quarterback who isn't as ready to play and may not be quite as good as Josh Rosen from UCLA. But again, we talked about this and, uh, you know, we've talked about this before. It's, it's Brandon Bean's job on the line, right? You know, he, he's the one who put in countless hours with his staff pouring over everything, uh, you know, to take a guy that he would put his reputation on. And so, you know, he believes in Josh Allen. The upside is there. I mean, he's got a huge arm. He's got maybe even more impressive than the arm to me is the contact balance in the pocket, the way he just bounces off guys. Uh, you know, would be tacklers. Uh, that's something that, you know, can be 
a huge, huge plus uh, as a quarterback. So there's a ton of tools to work with. He's got, you know, a lot of untapped potential. And if the Bills are willing to give him some time, build an offense around him and ease him into action, I think he has a chance to grow into the franchise quarterback that they want. It was interesting, Matt, because uh, people uh, asked him last night about, you know, fans having, you know, a little hesitancy about certain aspects of his game, notably his accuracy and his stats. And Allen's response with a laugh was, don't do it. Don't look at the stats. Watch the film. And that's a, a basic thing that we discuss around draft time, but it's it's a, it's a thing maybe we get away from. Is that where the hesitancy is from Bills fans, do you think, that they see that 56% accuracy number and, and they get afraid? I think so. I think uh, another part of it is, you know, people do watch the film and, and there's a lot of stuff on the film that doesn't look good. You know, I mean, uh, the, the accuracy didn't come out of nowhere. The numbers don't you know, get invented. You know, a lot of the stuff on film is what you see in the stats. So uh, I think there's definitely part of that. Uh, I think the big thing is, you know, during this pre-draft process, there's there's so much, you know, um, speculation. There's so much, you know, analysis that goes on about all these quarterbacks. And the overwhelming, you know, analysis on Josh Allen was negative from most of the draft experts, you know, save for... Mel Kuyper Jr. and a handful of others, a lot of people, uh, you know, did not like Josh Allen as a prospect. And, you know, the completion percentage was part of it and all that. But I think a lot of fans just developed that, you know, view of him from that, which is, you know, fine. Of course, you know, fans can, can build their opinions and, and all that. But, you know, at the same time, you know, when you look at the stats and the fact that he didn't win a ton of games in the Mountain West and his competition wasn't great, and then you, you look at a few cut-ups of his game on YouTube and you're like, man, he's missing a lot of throws. It, it's easy to talk yourself out of him if you want to. So I think that's where a lot of that came in. Josh Rosen is just an, an easier guy to kind of project and evaluate because there's not as much work involved. There's not as much development involved. He is he comes ready-made in a lot of ways. Uh, it doesn't mean that he's for sure going to be better than Josh Allen, though, because, you know, he, he also had some injury issues and all this. But in this whole, I mean, it's been a year buildup, right? I mean, fans have been knowing that the Bills would take a quarterback basically for the entire year. And so, you know, everybody was glued to these college football games in the fall and glued to the draft coverage throughout the winter and formed strong opinions and a lot of them were just overwhelmingly negative uh towards josh allen unfortunately but to your point i mean i loved that answer from him because he he just comes off as kind of a down-to-earth uh self-deprecating kind of funny guy and in in a different universe i think he would fit in you know so well here uh and fans would love him uh i just hope they give themselves a chance to um and That'll be the big question. Obviously, he's got the tweets to answer to as well that came out in the last couple of days. But I, this really strikes me as a kid who does fit in here and, you know, wants to fit in here and has the thick skin to deal with the fact that a lot of people don't like him early on and, and you know, want to prove those people wrong and have them embrace him the way he's ready to embrace 
you know, this community and this team. Yeah, the tweets, honestly, don't bother me as much as other people. He's a 15-year-old kid tweeting rap lyrics. And, you know, if we all got held accountable for things we did when we were 14, 15, 16 years old, nobody would be employed in this world. Now, if a pattern develops and we see more, the Bills will have a bigger problem on their hand. But it's worth asking and addressing that issue, Matt, because the Bills did contact Josh Allen and his camp on draft day just to kind of assure that this was not as big of an issue as some were making it out to be. How did that go, and how did Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott address that on Thursday night? Yeah, you know, they Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott said that they did not know about the tweets until the rest of us did, right? You know, whether it was late Wednesday night, early Thursday morning, that they kind of, you know, became aware of these tweets, which part of me says, you know, wonders how that, that could be the case when you do so much work on these guys. I I would think that would be one of the first things you look for. But uh, at the same time, uh, Brandon Bean brought up, and this is sort of a semantics issue that I'm you know, kind of interested uh, to figure out the exact details on. He said the tweets were deleted in January. So I think somebody had a cache aid version or something. All, the, all podcast listeners out there, uh, the Internet is forever. You think you delete something, somebody's got it somewhere. Uh, and somebody was hanging on to these, and, and they got out there. But... So the Bills had kind of a lot of work to do. If you think about it, you know, we talked about how much work Brandon Bean had to do to prepare for this draft, to grade the quarterbacks, to set trade values and all that. Now, on the day of the draft, he feels like he's ready. He's got his guy. He's got, you know, a few trade spots that he's he's eyeing. And all of a sudden, this comes out, you know. Now he's got a full day of work. Uh, you know, the PR staff has a full day of work figuring out how they're going to handle this, how they're going to spin it. And, Look, they felt comfortable with him. They called him. He explained the tweets. They called his coach. They called, I believe, one of his teammates. They called some people close to him, people that they had art. They trusted the work that they did, right? You know, they're not drafting 14 or 15 year old Josh Allen. They're drafting, you know, the Josh Allen that we have today. And they're really comfortable with him as a guy, as a player. And, you know, they went over that and. Sean McDermott did say that, you know, he's going to talk to some of the leaders in the room about, you know, how to embrace this guy and, you know, how he handles that uh, coming into a locker room. Because, look, some of the language in in those tweets just isn't acceptable, Uh, especially in in the time we live in now. We, you know, we have the a a lot more, um, you know, sensitivity towards that stuff maybe than, uh, you know, a long time ago. So I think. He's going to, you know, learn from it. It was obviously an unfortunate timing for him, but the Bills just felt really comfortable with all the work they had already done on him to know what type of person they were getting. Matt, you and I discussed this in one of our draft videos on Syracuse.com and NYUp.com, and and one of them we did about the quarterbacks. We are out on a windy day in Orchard Park. Some feel this is an overrated aspect of, of drafting Josh Allen, but the fact of the matter is it does get windy in Orchard Park. The Bills play in the AFC East and have to play in New England and have to play in New York and play in places where weather can be a factor. You know, just this year, as a matter of fact, the schedule comes out. The Bills have four home games from pretty much Thanksgiving on. So with that in mind... How much of that was a factor to take Josh Allen? Because it seemed like both Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, even Allen and others, that was one of the first things they mentioned was, hey, I can throw in bad weather. I'm used to this. I'm from Wyoming. Yeah, it was one of the first things that they brought up. And, you know, we talked about it in that video. And funny enough, and on the day of that video, Josh Allen was actually visiting. 
uh, one Bill's drive, I believe. It was uh, the first day of the voluntary workouts that he was in there. So um, a little bit of uh, coincidence there. But I, I said it in the video, I think that's a little bit overrated. I mean, Joe Webb won a game in the, the blizzard last year. So, uh, you know, Drew Brees came in here in, in tough weather and, and carved him up. Uh, and so... Some of that's a little bit overrated. You know, how many games are you going to play where it's truly, uh, you know, going to be that big of an issue? And is Josh Rosen's arm really not good enough to cut through the wind? I would say it probably is. Um, and not to mention, if this guy's your franchise quarterback for 10 years, 10 years from now, you might have a dome stadium. So, I mean, <laughs> right. uh, yeah, so a lot of that to me was like, man, if that's just the first thing you're going to on this guy, uh, you're going to have to, you know, give me a little something else here because, you know, all Bills fans heard Doug Whaley and Buddy Nix talk about E.J. Manuel's big hands and, and his ability to grip the football. I mean, it, it takes a lot more than that to be a successful NFL quarterback, but it's very clear that that was something for them. There was, there was something to that. And, I, you know, Brandon Bean mentioned when they went out to LaRamie, Wyoming, to put him through a private workout, there was snow on the ground. Uh, and, you know, they kind of felt like they were in Buffalo. And I, I think it all sort of played into and contributed to this feeling and this, you know, this evaluation of him that he would fit in here. And maybe that's more important, the more important aspect. Is he really going to have an advantage, you know, on a December game at New Era Field when, you know, Tom Brady's on the other sideline or, or what have you? Maybe not, but what they feel they felt at least was that this is a kid who would embrace this community at, at being the, the face of a franchise. He would embrace the locker room and, and just embrace everything it meant to be Buffalo. There was this this you know that's what Brandon Bean one of the first things out of his mouth was this kid is Buffalo, and you get that sense. That's why I say I think if fans gave him a chance, they would find out that they like him. I mean, he he grew up in a small farm town. Uh, you know, humble beginnings was looked over quite a few times, had to go to junior college, played his college football out in Wyoming, uh, you know, and, and now he's a Buffalo Bill. So I into, and I think clearly the bills bought into that and bought into the big arm and the, and the athleticism and the, the size and Hey, maybe it'll pay off for them. If they're playing home playoff games at some point, it certainly won't hurt to have a guy uh, that can, you know, sling it around the field and and still make that a part of his game, even in those conditions. So uh, ultimately, I think you know you'd rather uh, probably have a guy that's more of a finished product that uh, can do it uh, regardless of the conditions, but also just do it on a sunny day. Uh, but I think <laughs> they they also you know had had that in the back of their mind and. I think used it a little bit as a crutch last night because they were so on their heels a little bit about the tweets uh, and kind of making sure they were on message about that, that, you know, they kind of used the, uh, the weather thing as a crutch and I'm not sure a lot of fans buy it. And I ultimately don't know how much it's really going to, to matter, uh, you know, maybe for a couple of games a year. So the move for Josh Allen was a big one and an, and certainly an anticipated one. Maybe we didn't expect a second trade, but it was an expected move in terms of position. The Bills really needed a linebacker. 
They had the 22nd pick. They, hang, they hung on to that with the first trade, but still felt the need to move up a few spots, and boy, did they get a home run here. Tremaine Edmonds, uh, the linebacker from Virginia Tech, right there with Roquan Smith from Georgia, is one of the better linebacker prospects in this draft. So the Bills got a franchise quarterback, potentially, and they got a franchise linebacker, potentially. People really love Edmonds. What kind of move was this for the Bills? A needed move positional, uh, positionally, Matt, what kind of player is he? Oh, the, the kid's a stud. I mean, you mentioned it wasn't totally expected. I don't think the Bills even expected it. And, you know, just talking to a few people around the league as the, the draft was unfolding, you know, Edmonds falling was a little bit of a surprise. And there were people saying, you know, oh, my God, like John Gruden's going to be able to steal him at 10 or, you know, all this. And people expecting the Raiders to pick him at 15. So I think when he was on the board at 16 and the Bills were sort of within striking distance with, with some of the picks that they had, that's when they pounced. And, you know, a scout I talked to said this guy is going to be the dude in the locker room, you know, meaning he's going to be the guy that everybody wants to follow because of his work ethic, because of the way he carries himself. And that's him on and off the field. I mean, there's not too many guys built like this, you know, six, five, 250 pounds. And with those long arms and he ran the 40 yard dash and 4.5 seconds change of direction is crazy. I mean, physically you look at him and say, he's probably, he looks like a strong side linebacker, but he can play middle linebacker. And I think that flexibility is huge because when you're a nickel, most of the game, you know, where you're playing two linebackers and you need a guy that can cover. He can do that. He can rush the passer. I mean, he's a chess piece that the Bills simply don't have on their defense. I wrote about it last night. He's the most explosive player they have on defense the day he arrives, which is today. Uh, and I, I really believe that. Mike Mayock uh, used the term to describe him that is way overused in the draft community, but it's a word Mayock himself doesn't use unique because when somebody asked who do you compare him to he didn't have an answer because there's not really a perfect comparison for Tremaine Edmonds because guys that size that move that way are really rare uh, and he doesn't turn 20 until next week so he's still growing and developing and that's scary because this guy is already pretty far along and I think he's a guy that you throw into the lineup right away you know Sean McDermott said you know, we earn things around here. Okay, give me a break. You need a linebacker. This guy needs to be in your lineup the same way Tredavious White was from day one, and I think you're going to see similar results from him. Matt, uh, so the Bills gave away some second-round picks, which is, you know, good uh, currency, if you will, as you brought up, because there's still some good players here, but that's the price of moving up in the first round. So they're not chock full as picks as they were at the start of this, but I think we anticipated they were going to trade some of these. But as we go through the next couple of days, they've got their quarterback, they've got their linebacker. Now that we've seen how the board has fallen in the first round, how do the Bills react going forward here? What do you think they're going to target in the next two days? Yeah, I think, you know, they don't pick until the last pick tonight, uh, the pick 96 in the third round. So they definitely gave up, you know, some capital to do what they did, but they have a ton of day three picks as well. So I think, you know, some of the needs we talked about, slot cornerback, you know, bringing another guy to compete there, some depth on the defensive line. They, they brought in a lot of guys on visits that, uh, you know, were in this, third to seventh round range on the defensive line. Same with linebacker. I don't know that they're done adding 
to that position. They also looked at quite a few running backs uh, and, and you know, did their homework on that position. I still think they need to get younger uh, behind LaShawn McCoy. And wide receiver is another one that I think they still need more. Uh, if you're going to, you know, have a rookie quarterback, I think you need to surround them with some talent. And uh, they definitely need some upgrades at wide receiver. So there's plenty of holes to fill, but they filled the two most glaring needs on the on the team uh, and got decent. They got great value in Tremaine Edmonds and, uh, you know, okay value with Josh Allen. So everything else from this point on is, is you know, gravy in a way. If you get any time, I think, you know, draft weekend, we get a little uh, overexcited, a little carried away thinking everybody's going to be a, a home run pick. In retrospect, when you look back three, four years down the road, if you got two, you know, impact players, you had a good draft. Uh, and I think the Bills think they got two impact players that'll be around here for a long, long time. And if that's the case, then, then this will be a great draft for them. Matthew, thank you for joining us here on the Syracuse Sports Podcast and for hanging out with me last week in Orchard Park, put together those videos to preview the draft. Much more to come here, and we'll be reading and following on Twitter. But uh, thanks so much for the time today, my friend. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Matthew Fairburn for joining us. And make sure you follow his great coverage on Syracuse.com, NYUp.com, and on Twitter, at Matthew Fairburn. Well, we spent so much time on Bubble Watch with the Syracuse University men's basketball team, it's only fair we do the same for the Syracuse University men's lacrosse team. The Orange are in a precarious position, 10 days away from the NCAA tournament selection show. They've defeated every ACC team that will play in the conference tournament this weekend. They're 4-0 against what is usually the best conference in college lacrosse, but it's taken a step back this year. Syracuse also features five non-conference losses, including two by double figures and a heartbreaker against Navy, with .2 seconds remaining a weekend ago. Bottom line, this team may be closer to being out of the tournament right now than in it, short of a strong performance in the ACC tournament, which to Syracuse's credit, they've always done to this point, and the record against the league speaks for itself. But the Orange are 4-0 against the ACC and 3-5 and against everybody else. Syracuse is a young team this year, so the fact that they are a bubble team is not a surprise, but it represents a growing rift amongst the fan base. There are those that were spoiled by years of Final Four runs, years of expecting Syracuse to be a part of Memorial Day weekend. You could set your watch by it, literally, and your hotel reservations to be wherever the Final Four was. But lacrosse is still the fastest-growing high school sport in the country, which makes it one of the fastest-growing college sports in the country. It was just a couple years ago that Denver represented the first team west of the Mississippi to win a national championship, so there's still some growth to go in lacrosse. But bottom line is, there are more options for talented lacrosse players to go to. This has certainly affected Syracuse, and has what is still a vocal minority, but a loud one, calling for change at the top. What will they say if the Orange miss out on the tournament this year? Will they look at a young team that did win some close games this year, had a strong record against its own conference, Or will they say, bottom line, you missed the tournament, we want a different coach? Syracuse will certainly have to beat Virginia this weekend to feel good about an NCAA tournament bid. It's a rivalry that goes back for years, where games are always close. This year, Syracuse beating Virginia 12-11 at home on March the 4th, rallying from a five-goal deficit in the fourth quarter before Tucker Dordovic, a future star at Syracuse, if not a star now, hit the winning shot with 13 seconds to go. 
Ultimately, I think Syracuse's ACC record, taking care of business this weekend and beating Colgate next week, will be good enough to get them in the tournament. But maybe not the assured first round bye that Syracuse always got, and that home game at the Carrier Dome on graduation day, which was always something you could set your watch by. Is there pressure on Desco? No question about it. Is this the time to make a change? I guess we'll have to wait and find out. And a note on hockey before we go. The Syracuse Crunch just swept the Rochester Americans and now await its next opponent in the Calder Cup playoffs. It was appropriate that Syracuse dispatched of Rochester so quickly, not only because of the talent gap that's there, the excellent goaltending from both Eddie Pasquale and Connor Ingram, and Syracuse's ability to drop 18 goals in three games. Brushing aside Rochester that quickly in that series is just how quickly that rivalry got put aside. At one time, Syracuse and Rochester burned bright, but now it's the Crunch and the Utica Comets. In just a few short years, has become arguably the most intense rivalry in the American Hockey League. When Syracuse and Utica are on the ice together, no matter where that game is played, it feels like a playoff game. The series already has its own trophy, the Galaxy Cup. And fan bases that really know how to go at it on social media. To the point where, unfortunately, a Utica Comets fan site recently wished that Syracuse players were on the bus that crashed in Humboldt, killing over 10 people. That's obviously taking it too far, and they were dealt with. So if the Crunch and Comets feels like a playoff game every time they play, who doesn't want to see these two meet in the actual playoffs? The Adirondack Bank Center in Utica has recently been renovated, but still holds on to some of its old charm. The Onondaga County War Memorial is about to get its long overdue renovation. But this series would harken back to the movie that was filmed in both buildings, Slapshot. Who wouldn't love to see a little old-time hockey between the Comets and the Crunch for a full seven games? Here's hoping the Comets can come back knock out the Toronto Marlies and make that happen. That's the Syracuse Sports Podcast for this week, presented by the Bill Rapp Superstore. Don't forget, you can subscribe on iTunes and Google Play to make sure new episodes are automatically downloaded on your smart device. I'm Brent Axe. We'll talk to you next time.